This podcast does not constitute medical advice. All changes surrounding medications, diet and exercise should be made in consultation with a professional who can assess your unique health circumstances. Welcome to the Patterson Program, where you'll learn how to improve your health from the inside out. And now, your host, Clint Patterson. Well, I'm very pleased to welcome you back, whether you're listening or watching this online, to welcome another guest. And today we're going to be talking with Linda, who's in Victoria, one of the southern states of Australia. How are you, Linda? I'm well. <laughs> well, you look well. You're, you're, uh, you've got a big grin and we've just had a brief chat before we've started with this and you've given me a little background on uh, how far you've come. Just to give us a flavour of what to expect for the rest of this a conversation. Maybe you could summarize for us in just a, a few paragraphs, you know, where you were and maybe where you're at now so that we, we get excited about what's to come. <laughs> yeah, well, I guess um, I was diagnosed in 2011 and it wasn't until last year in October that I started the Patterson program. At that time, I was still in a lot of pain. Most of my symptoms were controlled by heavy medications, which were making me feel sick. And uh, now, six months later, I am pain-free and off all my medications. <laughs> well, that, that is outstanding. So you and I haven't had, uh, you know, we haven't had a tremendous amount of online communication. There has been some and it's been, you know, back and forth about some specifics, but we haven't really had a chance to connect and talk about the big picture. So this is going to be fresh for me and I'm excited to learn a lot about uh, what you've been through. Now, there's a lot of aspects to your situation I want to cover. First of all, you live in a rural area. So I want us to, to make sure that we talk about whether or not there's additional challenges to being in an area that may not you know, have access to the big health food stores, say like Whole Foods in the USA. And also, just kind of uh, touch upon the drugs that you're on and the challenges because you were on some of the most expensive and the most heavily marketed drugs on the market, especially in the US. Some of the, the, the drug you mentioned before we got on is marketed like at every ad break on some channels. So, so let's get into your, your story and uh, we'll cover these things off as we go. Yeah, okay. So to start at, I guess to start at the beginning, I was um, doing boot camp and I was very fit and then one day when I was in the plank position at 6 o'clock in the morning with all the, you know, ice and everything, I said to my um, instructor, I've got joint pain in my hands. And she said, you need to go to a doctor and get tested for rheumatoid. And I went, rheumatoid, you know. And anyway, I went to the doctor and he says, oh, I'll test you. But, you know, I doubt there's anything wrong. And I came back and my blood test was off the scale and I went to the rheumatologist. And my first rheumatologist wasn't, um, you know, he said, gave me the news. So you've got an incurable disease. It's degenerative and uh, you'll have it for the rest of your life. Yeah. And I said, will I be able to work? And he said, oh, yes, yes, you'll be able to work, but you'll always be in pain, you know. And anyway, I went to him about three times and then I found a new rheumatologist that was more my style. <laughs> but um, but he did he did um, instantly relieve the pain with some, you know, predisolone and um, anti-inflammatories and he put me on methotrexate, uh, which is methotrexate's the drug, one of the drugs that um, has made me feel sick right from day one. So anyway, I'll skip forward a bit, a bit to with my new rheumatologist. She put me on, I got off 
um, the prednisolone after a few, I don't know, six months or something, and I got off the uh, anti-inflammatories because I didn't like either of those. Okay, um, and let, let me just have a little, if I might just gently interrupt your story as we go to add some sort of author's commentary or like veteran's commentary because I see this so much. You know, the hardest clients that I work with are ones that have been taking the non-steroidal anti-inflammatories or the painkillers for very long periods of time or who have been on pregnazone for years and years and years and years or who've taken antibiotics leading up to coming into my radar for a long period of time. Those three drugs are so detrimental to gut health that they could have been eating fast food and meat and dairy and oils their whole life and still not have the problems that those particular drugs seem to create based on my experience with working with those folks. And therefore, what you've done, which is to have a, a, a sort of a, a triple therapy there with the painkillers, the uh, pregnazone and also the uh, methotrexate, by dropping those first two in that order, You've eliminated the two that are most detrimental to the gut and you have then proceeded with one that is, yeah, maybe more scary for most people, but has in my view, and it's just my opinion, but from what I've seen, observed with many, many folks, is that doesn't seem to have the, the two steps backward effect when you're trying to heal of those first, first few drugs. So thank you for giving me that little uh, chance to, to jump in. And I'll let you pick it up now from uh, from when you're now just on the methotrexate. Yeah, no worries. The methotrexate still wasn't totally controlling it, but, you know, the rheumatologist that I wasn't so happy with, you know, pretty much said, well, that's how it is, you know, there's people a lot worse off, there's, you know, and and I'm like, well, you know, I've, yeah. I've just, you know, I've got a, I've got a one-year-old baby and, you know, I've got a six-year-old Shorter and I can't be living like this. So I found a new rheumatologist. Um, had to travel to Geelong, which is I don't know four or five hours away, to go see someone. She is a young doctor, much more um, progressive. She put me on Plaquenil as well, and uh, she went through the process of getting me on Humeria injections. Um, we tried a few different ones, like. There was a few before we ended up with Humeria, which was controlling it quite well. And all the time I just wanted to get off the methotrexate because it always made me feel sick. Like, I always, like I'm a non-drinker and I always felt like I had a hangover, you know, after I'd taken my methotrexate. And so, you know, I worked with her to get, get the dose down as much as I could. Um, it was in... Um, 2014, I was like, oh, this just isn't good enough. And I Googled, is there a cure for rheumatoid? And I found, um, and I found your diet and uh, I, I bought it and I was desperate. So I just went to page one and I went, you know, day one and I read it. And am I allowed to swear? Because I just went, no, <laughs> there's no way. Look, I, you, can, you can swear. We'll just edit them out because of our, <laughs> our rating on uh, on iTunes needs to be preserved, yeah. <laughs> but um, I did think, oh, this is just, you know, there's no way I can do this. I was tired, I was stressed, I was sick, you know, I was very, very busy and I just went, there's no way I can do that. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't until two, in 2016 in June, my whole family got very sick. We all got very bad colds and my husband ended up in uh, hospital with pneumonia for two weeks. And that's when I went, 
I'm doing too much. My family's health is my priority now. So I... Um, right, this, right now, at that moment, was your tipping point, wasn't it? It was like, yes. this is yes. it. This is, I've had enough. I will do anything it takes in my power to change this situation. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. And I started with the family, of course, being the mother. So I... I went through the I, – I dropped my volunteer work at scouting, which I love. I'm a Cub Scout leader and I will be again one day soon. But um, I had to drop that. It was taking 16 hours a week of my time and I worked part-time. And I also did dressmaking on the side. So I dropped the dressmaking and the scouts and I just focused on just my merchandising job, just went to work, come home, you know, no extra – things yep. to work yep. at yep. and I the rest of the time I stripped the whole house I took everything out of one room at a time I took everything out scrubbed the place got you know looked for mold threw out a skip full of stuff mm-hmm. and just you know cleansed the house and then everyone started to feel a bit better and then I started to feel like I had enough time so I actually got the diet out again and I read it read it from the start. <laughs> you got past part of page one. Yes, yes. Uh, got, <laughs> uh, yeah, I got past that one. So it was really interesting because this was this was in, um, well, it must have been, because I started the diet in October, so it must have been, I don't know, the month before. So I read, I read the first chapter and I stopped. I can't remember which order it's in, but I stopped each food group. I stopped eating it after I read the chapter. <laughs> and I just said, oh, my gosh, you know, I can't. <laughs> I can't possibly eat those foods anymore. So I yeah. had this period of time where I was very hungry mm. but not going to eat anything. <laughs> yeah, you hadn't got – because I think the chapter's called uh, The Killers and you have to work through one at a time and I explain what's going on with each one. But then the chapter after that is kind of like, well, what do you eat? And yes, you that's hadn't right. Got, you hadn't got to the foods yet. <laughs> That's right. I hadn't got to the food yet, so yeah, I was just <laughs> so I lost a bit of weight quickly, even before I'd started the diet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, yes, yeah, so it's been uh, so. Once I'd read it and the evidence was so compelling, you know, I said to my family, I said, look, I have to do this. And all of the tools that are with the diet are fantastic. Like, I, you know, writing down why you're doing it and and having your diary. I've still got my diaries. I'm up to diary number four of my food diaries. Awesome. <laughs> and, um, you know, so at, that was crucial to being able to succeed at it. And, you know, my my family were in, you know, in theory, yes, look, sounds great, you should do it. And they've, but, you know, they haven't really changed what they've eaten at all. So I've really had to prepare two meals most of the time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but that's uh, that's something that I'm slowly hoping to inspire them to change. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it was really after about two weeks of the Patterson program, I was pain free, and uh, then I had um, the excitement of being able to go to the rheumatologist and say, look, because actually I mentioned it back when I discovered your diet, I mentioned it to my rheumatologist and she said, well, eating healthy does help, you know, but they wouldn't commit to, you know, if you do, you know, she said there hasn't been enough testing and, you know, all that stuff, but there is evidence out there, but nothing's been proven either way. But, you know, you definitely should eat healthier. But I'm an all or nothing kind of person. So just eating healthier is a bit too vague for me to be yeah. able to 
sink my teeth into. <laughs> yeah, and it also doesn't work, just eating healthy, because what's the definition of healthy for most people? The definition of healthy is maybe not as often having fast food. It's not eating out at, at, at junk food restaurants so much, or it's yeah. maybe reducing the amount of hot chips that they have at night. You know, they consider that yeah. healthy. I mean, seriously, here I am in the States at the moment, and I took a photograph the other day at, uh, at this place called Sam's Club, and I didn't even know what it was, but it's like Costco, which is like a, whole, a wholesale outlet for people who are happy to shop in, a, in like a huge shed and load up like pallets of food. And I took a photo of this one lady who was walking out with a pallet of food. And I'm not joking. There was not one single item on the pallet that had grown or was natural. It was all boxed. It was all processed. And every horrific kind of processed food brand and product you can buy, the sort of things I put up on slides when I'm speaking, like don't eat this. It was the whole palette and she's pushing it out to the big SUV. <laughs> that, that's oh. hilarious. So I, I, um, I actually, since I've started this, I've, I've seen people at fast food outlets, you know, and they obviously look unhealthy and they're about, and I just feel like going up and slapping it out of their hands and saying, don't do it. I know, I know, I know, because they just haven't got to the pain levels that you and I and others have experienced. Because when you reach a pain level that's inhumane, because let's face it, our body was never ever meant to ever feel this bad in these circumstances. Sure, in the past, back in, you know, days before modern technology, we might have fallen over and broken a leg and been in agony. There's no doubt about it. But not the kind of agony that's created by our own body in our own joints or different parts of the body for different autoimmune conditions because we were never, ever meant to have this happen to us. Yeah, and, and in studies showing in Africa, a study based on Africans show there was no presence of rheumatoid arthritis before the 1960s. So in a country that doesn't eat a Western lifestyle, there was no rheumatoid prior to modern introduction of, of processed foods and a high-fat, high-meat diet. So, you know, we're just not it, – it's an unnatural state. So Yeah. yeah. So I'm, I'm no, with – yeah, watching yeah. it, watching it's just intolerable. I, I just – yeah, it's so hard. I know, I know. And, and the weird thing is I don't – like I, I grew up on a farm, so, you know, I've got a freezer full of free – lamb you know and and i don't even want it i don't even like the smell of it anymore you and me both i grew up on a farm as well you know like my and my dad bless his heart because he now you know he's now mostly vegetarian based on you know watching his son go through what i went through yes him and mum both especially mum who was mostly vegetarian before he used to service meat three times a day and say you know because he read one book as we often do about you know how to eat and and he stuck with it his whole adult life until i got sick it's what we're taught at school like it's it's difficult because my you know my children are still taught that you need foods from all these food groups and it's very hard to explain that you know, you can get protein from just plant-based foods. and But um, the teachers say my, my six-year-old son is very, very good at uh, knowing what, what healthy food is and, you know, and they said and, and 
they asked, you know, what's healthy? And he put his hand up and said, the Patterson program. And the teachers said, what's the Patterson program? So all of all of um, grade one know about it now. <laughs> oh, that's sensational. How funny. Isn't that, isn't that cool, you know? Yeah, I think because we find it hard to differentiate the word protein and meat products. They're almost synonymous with each other. And yet there are, there are plant foods with more protein content uh, per gram than meat products. So it's just a marketing job that's been very, very successful. It's like oranges and vitamin C. There are foods that are richer in vitamin C than oranges and potassium and bananas. Man, it's the same old thing. We, we fall into this trap of thinking that one nutrient, one food, whereas every food, unless you're talking about something like oils, which have no nutrients whatsoever, most foods have such a wide variety of nutrients that it's just uh, stupidity to associate one food with one nutrient unless you've taken a single vitamin supplement like a B12, which isn't a food anyway. So, okay, we're having a fun conversation here. I'm, I'm enjoying chatting. So tell us... Um, what uh, what has it been like trying to source foods in a rural environment? Because we have a lot of clients who do live in rural areas, particularly in Australia, where we have lots and lots of open, vast space with single towns with hours between them. And, you know, how difficult was it to get some of the foods? Because the foods that I recommend aren't necessarily the most common. No, it's um, actually quite easy. The health food shop had most of, like, the things that I had a bit of trouble sourcing in the beginning were um, the uh, were miso paste and things, but mostly because I hadn't heard of them, you know, <laughs> and uh, buckwheat. But they were readily available at the health food shop, and um, and there's also a shop which is handy. I never stuck to organic because it's so expensive. Yeah, that's right. But so so um, there's a Asian supermarket in our town, and yeah. it, which is just new. And so you know, I get bulk chickpeas, and now that I'm more advanced, I get you know bulk grains from there, and just make sure I wash them really well. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. I yeah. used to do the same thing. I used to get kimchi from a Korean place right next to where I used to do Bikram yoga. And I would also buy from there, they used to sell frozen edamame beans. So I used to buy all these frozen edamame beans from there as well. So the Asian restaurants can be, can be super, sorry, the Asian supermarkets can be super helpful. Um, So you didn't have, you didn't have to buy anything online. You didn't go through any Amazon sort of, yeah. No, I didn't. And if, if, I mean, I just, didn't do like I couldn't find Eden beans, so I just didn't have them. I just had other things, you know. Like yeah, there's enough variety when you get up in it that it doesn't matter. And I tried. Um, I can't remember the name of one of the grains. I just didn't like it, but Amaranth? it was in the supermarket. Yeah, yeah, Amaranth, yeah. I didn't. I didn't like it. I bought, but I found it at the supermarket. But okay. I found I just didn't like it, so I just left it out. And, um, yeah, oh, and interestingly, my iron levels, uh, I'd been on iron tablets for a few months prior to starting the diet, and the doctor had said, oh, yeah, your iron levels are quite good just before I started the diet, but since you're starting this diet, you better stay on the tablets. And anyway, after a month of being on the Patterson program, I was able to get off those tablets. That's awesome. Because <laughs> um, I was getting plenty of nutrition yeah, yeah. My rule of thumb with anemia or, or lack of iron and, and these things is, is a couple of things going on, which you know, so this is more for more for listeners who, who haven't yeah. got access to all the information. But uh, 
So we know that with uh, anemia, there's iron deficiency anemia, which is the one that 99% of people think about. But then there's also anemia of chronic disease, which is where in a state of inflammation, the body actually withholds the iron from the body so that pathogens who need iron to be able to function and uh, attack us are not able to uh, get what they need. So we shouldn't treat anemia of chronic disease with iron supplementation unless we're very, very cautious. So yeah. if anyone wants more info on that. Yeah, you did all the blood tests, but, yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah, it can um, be dangerous, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I can hear. For anyone wondering what the noise is in the background who's not watching the video on YouTube, there's a little dog that's uh, not that little medium-sized dog that's been sitting next to the, to the <laughs> no, table the whole time. <laughs> now tell us, about, um, tell us about the drugs you were on. Um, a lot of people face the challenge where their drugs are starting to uh, waver in their effectiveness. I went through this. I was on 10 milligram and it seemed to reduce most of my symptoms, not all. And then after a year, I needed to go up and up and up. And it just seemed like for me, methotrexate just lost its effectiveness and I got to maximum dose. And we talked earlier about that moment in time when you said, I don't care what it takes. I'm just doing everything in my power. Well, that was for me when I was told that, A, I'd be going on to more medications in addition to the methotrexate or an alternative and that was at least or, or at least as severe and B, I wouldn't yeah. be able to have children in the in the foreseeable future because of these drugs. And that for me was my tipping point. And I said, whatever it takes, I'm doing this. So what was your experience? We've we've had the, the experience with methotrexate in terms of how you didn't respond well to it. But before we get off methotrexate and onto the other drugs, when did you feel the side effects or the negative effects of methotrexate and what were they? Well, at the very start, they put me on very high dose, um, 20, I think 20, 25 milligrams. Yeah. And um, I just felt the best I can describe it is like having a hangover. Right. Um, and and I also felt very vague. And I, when, I was, when I was driving to work or whatever, I'd be thinking, geez, I don't know that I'm that safe, you know, because I'm on this drug and it was sort of affecting my concentration. So I worked hard to get it down and I actually did get it down to five milligrams at one point, but then it, when, when it started going back up, like it was just, just, after, just after everyone had been sick and everything, the doctor said, oh, look, maybe you'd better go back to 10 milligrams because really you're still suffering. And that's when I went, right, I've got to read that diet. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Same. Yeah. Uh, same moment. Yeah. A talk of yeah. worse drugs. It's amazing how afraid we are of the drugs. And I've surveyed a lot of my clients and found that the reason they, you know, want to adopt the changes that I recommend is is more strongly to avoid medications than what it is to lower the pain. It's quite incredible. Yeah. It, it it is it is strange. And and even though like when I started my pain diary, I was recording pain in most joints of around seven to five score, yep. you know, I'd been living with that level of pain for a very long time and finding it acceptable. But then after two weeks when I was getting zeros in most of them, um, I was like, oh, my God, you know, I, you know like I didn't realise how much I was putting up with until I, um, until I started, you know, until it wasn't there. Yeah. And now, 
Now I occasionally get like a, a 0.25 in my right foot, which I dropped a, at the start of the diet. I, unbeknownst to me, I broke my foot. <laughs> um, I dropped a, a dropped a base of a fan on it. And, um, you know, I just thought, you know, as someone with rheumatoid, you just go, oh, yeah, there's another pain. <laughs> but anyway, it turns out I fractured my foot. But um, so that foot through this whole Patterson program has pretty much been the only thing that gives me a warning that something I've eaten or medicines I've had have affected me. And then I, so I adjust my diet with that. (laughs) Wow. So if I understand correctly, so you've got no pain now in any part of your body, except you do get a sense that sometimes you're getting some pain in one of the metatarsals of your feet. And what you do then is you, and because that's where the pain's going to, because it's been broken. And so then you readjust by um, doing what? Do you go back to some of the more basic foods? I always make sure that I'm having at least three or four Patterson program meals, or probably more than that, but I usually try and have one Patterson program meal a day. Like I often have miso soup for breakfast or kachari is another one of my favourites. Oh, yeah, we love that too. And the quinoa and veggie soup. So um, I try and um, put those in as much as I can. If I notice, see, for example, I was on, I was strictly on the diet until a couple of months ago when I decided that I'd lost too much weight. So what I did was I introduced the rest of the grains that I could think of that I would be likely to eat. And I did that for two weeks and I felt fine. So then I did the rest of the veggies and then I did the rest of the fruits. And then there was a few things I reserved that I thought might affect me. And so just recently I tried tomatoes. So I've got a 0.25 in one foot today and I think that's from the tomatoes. And, I'll, you know, so I've, I've dropped them again mm-hmm. and I've got the backup. I know exactly where I got to with the testing. So if, if anything happens and I get regular pain, I'll just go back to that where I was up to. Yep. and start introducing things one at a time again. Absolutely but, perfect. That's the precise yeah, uh, yeah, the formula. Yeah, getting yep. worried I was getting too thin. And the challenge has been because I've had constant sinus infections, every time I've tried to exercise effectively, I've ended up with a sinus infection. So the thing that I need to do more on, like the thing that's been lacking in my Patterson program is proper exercise and strength building. So that's my next health project once I've had, I'm having an operation tomorrow. So um, after I recover from that, um, my number one priority will be exercise to go with the diet to finish up the healing. (laughs) Okay. And because I'm privy to what that operation is, because you've told me on email that it is for your sinus. Now, is this a problem that has been, that started around the same time as rheumatoid or is it a longer term thing? I think um, I've always had sinusitis, but it's just been in the last 10 months that it's become very chronic. And I think some of the medicines are have made it a bit worse, you know. Yeah. But, yeah, I um, the thing that was interesting this year, um, since I started the program and I'm keeping a record of everything that goes in my mouth, including medicines, and I found I was in this situation where I had 
I was well and I knew I didn't. I, I, so I'd, I dropped, first medicine I was allowed to drop was the methyltrexate. So I dropped that, like with the consultation with my rheumatologist. She said, look, your, your blood tests are all still fine. You know, the medicine's been controlling it, but, you know, you're fine and you're saying that you've got no symptoms. So you can try without them. So I'd try without one and, you know, after a month or so, I'd say, oh, so, you know, how about I get rid of the plaque? You know, what can I get rid of yeah, next? And, yeah, you're on you a know, roll. She said, oh, well, you know, you can get rid of the plaque one also. I tried that and it's been fantastic. I've been um, so, you know, had no, no symptoms. But the one that she was very worried about me going off was Humeria injections because there's a process here. They're quite expensive to have. And uh, there's a there's an involved process that you've got to meet criteria to be eligible to be able to be funded to have it because they're they're well over I don't know they're thousands of dollars an injection if you don't have the government funding, and so you know she said you won't be able to have it again you know you only get one chance, <laughs> and uh, anyway so I was in this situation where I was getting I kept getting sinus infections and I kept ringing up and saying look I'm too sick to have the injection because you can't have them when you've got an infection and she said that's okay she said you know just wait until you're better and then have it so I'd wait until I was better and then I'd have it and then I'd get within two days I'd have a bad infection back again and so I go to the GP and the GP would say here you need antibiotics and I go oh, I don't want to take antibiotics and anyway but they, he'd give me so but because I was keeping records I could say okay I had 10 days worth of antibiotics and I had 10 days worth of pain in multiple joints and I would just say so I went to the doctor and I showed him I said look I, don't, I can't take antibiotics and so the next time I had an infection I went to him and I said look I can't take antibiotics because you know, it gives me flare-up. And he says, well, best you don't take them then. So we've been managing it with um, uh, saline, big washes and all sorts of other alternatives that, you know, I've still been sick, but I was sick with the antibiotics anyway. So I, the recovery time was about the same, whether I had the antibiotics or not. And at the same time, I also rang my rheumatologist and I said, look, every time I have a humeria injection, I get a... I get an infection and she says, well, you best stay off it until you get your sinus problems sorted out. So I said, okay, I will. And so I stopped taking Humeria and I stopped taking antibiotics and my sinus has still been a problem, but I haven't had a chronic infection since I stopped both of those things. <laughs> so, you know, so, I've, yeah, I've been snuffly but not really grossly infected and sick <laughs> so yeah you know, so, yeah. yeah it's been just fantastic and I go back to the rheumatologist in July and I can't like to say I'm never taking Humeria again <laughs> you know? so and she's been you know we've been conversing on the phone and you know she knows I'm still symptom free <laughs> it's just so awesome it's just such a lovely, uh, lovely place that you've gotten to now. Before the call, we uh, you said it's been about four months since you have been off those antibiotics and the Humira. That's right. Which is a tre tremendous amount of time to be off Humira. If you look at the sort of lag time for that drug, you're certainly right down into the tiny, tiny tail of what may be residual within your body. So one certainly could not argue that your symptoms are uh, are. are as they are because of that drug. Um, it's been far too long. So this has been a really, really interesting uh, uh, conversation and you're very articulate and, and very good at recalling, you know, what went, what transpired and it's been 
really great to listen to. I know that my listeners often can spend a lot of time thinking about supplements and you're a great example. I seem to pick up of someone who hasn't fascinated about the supplement side of things, but was there anything that you did take at all besides just the food as medicine? I I wasn't really, yeah, I'm not really interested in supplements, but um, my GP did prescribe vitamin D tablets, uh, vitamin E, the little yellow ones. Okay. Um, no, vitamin D, vitamin D. D. Os- yeah, good. Yeah. One, one I like, D. the other I don't. Yes, yeah, vitamin D. And uh, towards the end, um, that was all I was on was vitamin D. And towards the end when I started losing too much weight, he prescribed multivitamin, which he said sometimes helps appetite, and it did because I found I was always full, but I was still losing so much weight. And um, so, yeah, so that was helpful at the end. But, it, you know, it's not something, yeah, I'm quite happy not to have any supplements. <laughs> yeah, that's good. So there are some um, that are well documented elsewhere that I think are worthy of a try, but uh, I feel that they get a disproportionate amount of attention when people are trying to heal. They, they also distract you from taking bigger action than taking the pill. So the brain can only think about a certain number of tasks at hand. And when one of them is, which one of my supplements should I take now? It can feel like we're ticking the box of doing something positive when that should be replaced with how long can I spend at the gym today? Um, Can I fit in a Bikram class or shall I take the time to clean the juicer and make another green smoothie? Or clean the blender. Do you know what I mean? Like these are better. These are better quality questions than which supplement. Mm. I yeah, I find it's all about the food and uh, you know and the preparation. Like being for me um, having a family that needed to needed to stay on the sad diet at the moment, and myself, you know, I had to have a lot of time to prepare the food and all of those things and. Yeah, it's got to be your priority because, you know, if you're starving and there's nothing there and you have to cook it, <laughs> it's not good. It you, is. You're not going to succeed. Yeah. You've got to be highly prepared, don't you? You've got to have all the foods that you need to make your meals at the front and foremost visible of the cupboard because if there's something there that looks very tempting, it's, uh, you know, after several months you really start to feel the, the sort of the pull towards doing something bad. And now it happens even more when you're doing so well. It's e- when you're doing so well, you feel like I can afford to do this and that. I know we've, uh, we're heading towards the, the end of our chat, but t- can you explain some tips that you've got for other people who are also in your situation where you are cooking for, for sort of yourself and separately for the family with different meals? Have you worked out how to streamline this or to make this more um, efficient? Yes, um, now that now that I'm not as restrictive, I'm sure it can work. It's taken me a long time to, to get, but I do, I've been Googling um, vegan recipes and vegan, you know, kind of things, and a tip that I found which was great was preparing in bulk. So at the moment one of my favourite meals is the Buddha bowl, which has grains, roast veggies, salad or cooked veggies and, you know, smashed avocado and things. So I've cooked a lot of those components. So I've got a fridge full of 
roast veggies that I've roasted in the air rack with no oil and all that. And so, you know, so I've got the components there. So it's just a matter of heating up and adding bits on. So so my meals, you know, and, and the freezer's got several containers of quinoa and veggie soup and that sort of stuff. So, you know, like one bulk cooking day a week can – tide you over till the next week and you have your couple of favorite emergency meals i mean my emergency meal is miso soup because you know i can cook it in 14 minutes and it's so it's kind of like my backstop if i haven't got a plan (laughs) it's my emergency meal and so yeah you've just got to have your emergency meals and your and you know sort of have have your components pre-prepared and always have a fresh salad in the fridge, you know, already prepared and try and serve that up to the family as well. Like, you know, yes, give them their shit food, but also give them, you know, a bit of, um, sorry, (laughs) you know, give them something good as well, you know, eventually. Like they're all a fan of kachari. I feed them kachari once a week, but the rest of, you know, Slowly, slowly. <laughs> but, yeah, so they. Yeah, that's that, that, there's some really good tips there. And uh, I do agree with all of those things. And preparing in bulk uh, is, is just a fabulous tool. You may recall some of our other forum members uh, have posted pictures where, like Glenn, for instance, comes to mind. He's got, you know, a week's worth of meals prepackaged, ready to go, all in their individual containers that he takes to work each day. And it really works for him. And it really does take away that sort of repetitive robotic food prep that you have to do all the time when time is so precious. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> Thanks so much for uh, coming on this episode. Uh, wh- where does life take you from this point, Linda? You've, I say to people when they overcome rheumatoid arthritis and become their own puppeteer like you are now, where you, if you're feeling a little bit of this, a little bit of that, you know exactly what to do to restore it. You are in control and complete uh, control of your condition, which is the ultimate goal of what we're aiming for here. It's not a cure. It's not remission. These words don't work for us. What we're looking for is complete confidence and control over our condition. Now that you've achieved that, what lies ahead for you in any kind of category? Oh, look, it, there's so many things. Like I'm just so excited. I'm I'm able to like our family is not particularly sporty, but now I'm able to run around with my six-year-old and play catch and, you know, do those things much more often and the dog gets walked a lot more often than she used to. And um, so those sort of things, I, I want to um, get my fitness up to an even higher level. We run to the bus stop every morning because we're running late and it doesn't hurt. <laughs> um, except for the, because I'm not fit. <laughs> but, um And uh, I'm actually seriously considering a teaching degree next year now that I'm well enough and I've got enough energy. Yeah, so I'd like to, yeah, I think that's something I want to do. And uh, we have always camped, but I'm looking forward to doing more camping again now because without pain it will just be so much less of a hassle. (laughs) And, um, yeah, so I want to get the whole family a bit more outdoor and active like we, you know, we sort of always have been but we need a bit more, you know. Yeah. 
bit more of the outdoor life again because, yeah, it's very easy to just go, oh, it's too hard, I'm too sore, or I won't take the kids for a walk, I won't make them walk the dog and that sort of stuff. So, yeah. 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 Yeah, absolutely. Well, anything that involves exercises and outdoors is 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 fabulous, isn't it? Exercise is like insurance, you know. The more you put in, protect yourself from future uh, disease or... There's a, a cave called the Sundung Cave um, that just sounds amazing, but you've got to be super fit and you've got to be able to rock climb to go to it. It's a very isolated thing. So that's that's another... Long-term goal. <laughs> right. well, keep us updated. Mm, yeah, because yeah. I'm, I'm keen to climb Mount Kilimanjaro. That's been something I've been wanting to do for a while. I'm, I believe that the, the physicality of it now is, uh, is not going to be a problem at all. It's actually uh, trying to work out how to, how to do it with two little kids and, and the whole logistics <laughs> of having a small family makes it hard. But, look, these things are... Um, you know, these things uh, are possible to us when we take a period of our life where we say enough's enough and we got to do something about it. And, you know, you fortunately were able to do it without losing income. You were able to drop two charitable aspects of your life, which was, uh, you know, obviously things you enjoyed and, and were, were sort of wonderful things. But to be able to keep up your your income side of things at the same time was a big plus. I, at the same time, in my experience was um, I dropped all of the, the low income aspects of, of my work. You know, I've been working in entertainment for 17 years. And so I dropped performing at all the little comedy clubs and I wouldn't travel interstate for, for anything other than high paying corporate jobs because it was too much on my body. So, you know, like you, I uh, had to prune back parts of my life that were not really essential so that I could concentrate on on getting well. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. <laughs> it is. It is. It's a... Uh... Really, really. I, wrote, I read a book called Essentialism around the same time, which was very helpful for prioritising what's really important. Yeah which was good. <laughs> yes, definitely. We might, I might get you to send through the, uh, the author of that book and I'll link that in the show notes. I just want to thank you for coming on this, uh, this show and for sharing your story. And I'm sure most, uh, if not everyone, will, will get a lot out of it. And I, I think you'll be a fantastic teacher. You've, you're very, very eloquent at explaining things and, and recounting your story. So if I, you know, had a house near you, we'd be sending kids to your school. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> so thanks very much for, for coming on as a guest and I, I wish you all the best and let's stay in touch. Indeed. Thanks. <laughs> You've been listening to the Patterson Program. For more information, visit pattersonprogram.com.